You're a cop? No, I'm not a cop. Well, what the fuck were you doing there? I, I just... Excuse me? Fucking that one. I will leave you. You don't think I want to spend some time with my family after being gone all week? People think that I am unhinged? You touch me like that again and I will fucking leave you. Fucking leave you. Maybe you can give one hand to Warren so he can shove it too. Oh, and we're off. The Coffee Clash Podcast. Welcome to the Coffee Clatch Crew Big Little Lies episode review. I'm Jason Pistorino. I'm Christina Lomangino. And today we uncover the truth with episode six, The Bad Mother. That's right, we're only doing one episode this time. Surprise! IMDb is giving this a 9.1 and Rotten Tomatoes a 79%. The critics say, despite its wonky editing and over-reliance on soap opera tropes, Nicole Kidman's searing performance as the embattled Celeste helps anchor the bad mother. Now, I hear what they're saying. They word it as wonky editing. Last episode, but more specifically this one, I started to feel as though there were some weird jump cuts. There were some scenes that seemed very short. The beats were wrong. Right. The the flow of it was a little bit off and the scenes themselves, I was thinking, well, that feels like it was cut down or something was taken out. Why is the rest of that in there? There were some where the filming or the framing was different, like the scene where Jane goes to Mary Louise's apartment, which I can't wait to talk about that. But I couldn't quite put my finger on what it was. That is until an interview was released that was published by IndieWire. And it talks about some drama that's been going on surrounding the director, Andrea Arnold. We've talked a little bit about this. She came in this season. It was Jean-Marc Vallée in season one, who was also a part of this season two as a co-executive producer. But supposedly there's a lot more going on there that we're going to talk about in depth later on in our closer look. That could definitely be responsible for what's happening with a little bit of the disconnect that we feel. It seems like that's a big part of it. Two different visions, two different styles going into this, and maybe it was some weird editing in post-production. Yeah, when you were telling me about this, I was like, wow, it does make sense. Yeah. But that's really unfortunate for Andrea. Yeah, basically, without getting into the whole story, it sounds like she filmed this entire season, went into it under the impression that she was going to have full creative control over it. And it wasn't until afterwards that they brought Valet in to revamp a lot of it to make it feel more cohesive with season one, which I can understand the thought process behind that, except that it sounds like Andrea Arnold didn't know that. And it was sort of hijacked from her later. Now, this is a weird thing to talk about because there aren't direct quotes from Arnold, Valet, HBO. There's a really generic statement that was published by HBO. But I'm, I'm left wondering, where did the, all this info come from? You know, was it insider sources? Is this all true? I'm sure there's other sides to the story that will come out eventually. The parts of this episode that I really liked... I loved everything that was happening in the court scenes with Celeste. That all continues to be really interesting. I am feeling this increased sense of tension that we only have one episode left to go. It feels like there's so much material. Initially, I had thought this probably means we're going into a season three and they're going to leave a lot of this unresolved or maybe even on a cliffhanger. Now, given the drama and there hasn't been any official statements about a season three, I'm not sure if that will be true. Yeah, I think I have to agree with you. I'm about 80% sure 
that there isn't a season three. Mm. This season alone, even though I really did enjoy it, and most of our grades are in the nines, when you put it up against season one, there's a lot of things that we really love about Big Little Lies that is missing in this season. They kind of changed the ingredients a little bit, which is to be expected to a certain point. But like the things that we've brought up in the past, there's just certain storylines where I feel like they're fillers, where they're just additions that don't really hold as much weight or fit in. Yeah, yet again, some of the Jane storyline here felt a little bizarre. Like we just needed to check in with Jane. I'm not sure why we had some of those scenes. Some of the ones with Madeline were good, but others felt like they were retreading ground between her and Ed. Mm. We've had quite a few scenes of her coming up to Ed in the house while he's working on his laptop, saying to him some version of, what's it going to take for you to trust me? And him saying, I just can't do that yet. Did we need another one in here? Another thing that I was really enjoying, the start of every episode would be a flashback to Trivia Night. When they first did this at the beginning of the season, I thought it was more heavily going to be from each one of the Monterey Five's perspective perspective and we do see that it's a different person each time having the flashback but the scenes themselves aren't that radically different we kind of keep going back to the same moment of them saying I pushed him no I pushed him nobody pushed him it's not that thought we were going into it with that it's a traumatic event and you're going to see each character viewed it so differently focused in on a little more layered I feel that would really help to a string all the episodes together to be a sort of glue because it's a cohesive theme that runs throughout. And maybe that was the original thought, put this flashback in at the beginning as a consistent. But because it doesn't really change, it's not adding much. I don't know the purpose of it. The one this time was almost two seconds long. The one difference I did see this time, and I may be reading too far into it because I'm hoping for exactly what you were saying, is that Renata had a say and almost felt like the final say in that where she said, it's nobody's fault. But they kind of had that being a mix of Madeline and Renata from the beginning, them swooping in with the ultimate story. And we have been seeing a little bit more of Madeline Renata's relationship that is closer, perhaps, than we had thought. They're kind of the leaders of the group. And their storylines mirror each other a little bit as far as infidelity is concerned. Renata, again, very getting very short screen time, although really impactful. We'll talk about that in a minute. But finally, I was a bit disappointed by Bonnie's stuff this episode. I was feeling really excited midway through the season that we're starting to dig into that. When I say there seems to be a lot that will be left unexplored, I'm primarily thinking of her storyline. Now, we did get the premise that this might be ending very differently with her mother than we thought. And so that could explain a lot. Maybe it is just about Bonnie getting to the point where she finally confesses the truth. That's a little bit less climactic, I think, than what I was expecting for the Bonnie backstory. At this point, I don't think she's going to confess. Oh, you don't? No, I think she's going to get caught. Okay, well, we'll save that for predictions later on because I have some different theories. What bothered me with the Bonnie scenes is the same thing that's been bothering me for a while, and I have brought this up. They keep relying heavily on flashbacks, quiet scenes that don't tell us much. And it gets to a point where as a viewer, you're saying, all right, come on, you got to give me something now. Yeah, I'm tired of being in the dark. Stop showing me glimpses that don't really fit yet. That we don't know if they're empathic flashes or real memories, things yet to come. And actually, they leaned into this feeling they've been creating in some scenes with certain characters. 
And I think it's fine when we use it, say, with Celeste, where you're never quite sure if what's happening is a daydream, an actual dream, a flashback. The moment itself is a little hazy. For instance, Bonnie's in the middle of the courtroom and she imagines herself confessing. Did you ever push your husband down a flight of stairs? I did. And you go, holy shit, what's going on here? Oh, wait, that's not actually happening. So with Celeste and all the trauma she's been through with her having these moments where she's medicated and doesn't really understand what's happening, I think it's a technique I appreciate. But when we start using it with a bunch of different characters just to keep the confusion up, what's happening in reality and what's not, it starts to feel like a tool. I don't know. I I didn't like the way they used it this time. So before we go into the plot, I just had some fun facts. We'll start with the GOT, as many have heard. They are killing it this year in the Emmy nominations, again, but even more. They have actually broken the record. According to certain sources, they say 32 nominations. Nerdist said 33. So it's either 32 or 33 noms this year. And we'll discuss that further in our Patreon. But something to note, Big Little Lies has zero. Don't fret. It's not because Big Little Lies was shunned. It's because they premiered their first episode this year, June 9th, a week after the window of eligibility. Yeah, we talked about this before with the timing on certain things. Although I'm remiss to discuss the award topic surrounding this show because there was a lot of controversy if a big factor for them even having a season two was the amount of awards they were nominated for for season one. Some of the underlying rationale behind the creation of this season leaves me wondering if we're in the right place still for why we're making it. And I don't have enough information as a viewer to know that. What I do know as a viewer is that... Myself, you, and a lot of our friends and the internets wanted another season. They loved it so much. So that hopefully was one of the main factors. And I feel about this like I do about Game of Thrones, even if I have thoughts about people that are helming the show or the decision making. I don't think that should impact the actors that are putting forth amazing performances with both shows. I think that's the case. Some of the best acting that's on TV this year. So I would be excited for a lot of these people. Well, do you think HBO did this on purpose so they're not competing against themselves? That's what I mean. I think some of the motivations, perhaps, behind the higher-ups, the showrunners or HBO, who knows where that's at. And that might be why they, one of the reasons why they pushed up Game of Thrones originally. Remember, it's earlier. Yeah, I think there was a lot that went into that decision-making. I think they had a feeling it wasn't their best season. And they were like, we got to get it out and have the Emmy Awards be while it's still fresh. Because if they wait a year, I think they wouldn't have as many nominations. That could end up hurting them too, though. I don't know how that's going to work. I think they're still going to take a lot because Game of Thrones is still one of the best shows on TV. But anyway, we're talking big little lies right now. Let's get into our plot for episode six. We open up at the police station where Mary Louise and Detective Quinlan are watching a tape of Celeste's interview and her talking about Perry, quote unquote, falling. Then the Monterey Five have another meeting where Madeline tries to tell them all to stay calm. Bonnie starts in on her and Madeline bites back, saying, when you pushed him, dot, dot, dot. But Jane quickly comes in to reiterate, he slipped. And then they kind of repeated it as if it would make it true. He slipped. He slipped. Well, they're confirming this is the story that they're going to go with should they be called in court, right? We know that the court meeting is coming up very soon. They all have to be on the same page about things. And Bonnie is the one that's really 
teetering on the edge. So bad look on Madeline to push her even more. That's not what you need to be doing right now. She does realize and apologize to her later. But what do you think about Mary Louise and the detective seemingly on the same team Team. here looking over these police interviews? Well, it makes me think that this one hearing isn't everything that Mary Louise has up her sleeves. I believe this is just to start the cracks and then there will be another hearing or an arrest once that dam opens up. And we learn that, I'm jumping forward here, with the fact that she had a P.I. following Celeste. But we knew this, right? The first scene we saw Mary in, episode one, we knew she is up to something. She's not this sweet person with a little bit of old woman daggers. She is up to something. And she has been since she got there. This goes back to what you asked last time, though. Was it Detective Quinlan coming in with this plan about how they could possibly get to each one of these ladies to uncover the truth of what happened to Perry? And when she learns about Mary Louise going after custody of the kids, does she use that as an angle to say, I will help you if we go forward with the Perry stuff in this way? Or was it, in my opinion, Mary Louise who propositioned this and the detective went along with it because seemingly Mary Louise has a bounty of evidence and that's part of what they're going to need to make anything happen in these court hearings. I think that's a big reason why Mary Louise, or should I say her lawyer, was doing so well for a while. They just have tons of evidence to support what looks like the wrong thing. It's Mary Louise. We saw that scene when she went and talked to the detective. She was courting the detective Mm -hmm. as far as opening the case up or keeping it going. I think that makes a big difference to what the outcome winds up being. Because if Mary Louise does get shot down here in court, maybe that's the end of it. I would say no to you on that, except for the fact that there's only one episode left. Mm. If we knew there was a third season, we'd say, well, that's going to be the third season. Absolutely. But I don't know if they can draw that out any further. A whole nother season about this one scene. Especially coming back to Perry, because Mm -hmm. we've opened up so many new avenues now moving forward. It feels weird to be for that to be the cliffhanger that goes a whole nother season. I think we do have to wrap the Perry stuff one way or another with season two. But I had one more question. And this is again in relation to what we learned in the court scenes. But we're talking about the Monterey Five and their meetings at the beaches. We've had three so far secret meetings. I think at least. Well, now that we know that Mary Louise had a PI following at least Celeste, who knows who else. Probably not Bonnie because she just met Bonnie two episodes ago, but Jane, all of them. There's got to be pictures of them, even maybe recordings that we have yet to see of them at the beach where the judge, not in this case, but if there was a case about Perry's death, where either the judge or the detective, if they're detained, says... What are these meetings about? Why are you guys meeting in secret? Yeah, well, we did see the end of season one. It looked like Detective Quinlan taking photos of them while they were all meeting at the beach. That was how we knew things were unresolved in the season finale. But But that was hanging out. That was like relaxing at the beach with the kids. They could make any meeting at the beach with them look like that. I think it's smart that that's why they're doing their rendezvous here. It's going to be really hard for anybody watching them to get close enough to have audio recordings, especially when they're at the beach with the sound of the waves and everything behind them. The best they could probably do is pictures that don't prove anything. We're friends. We're allowed to get together and hang out. Sometimes we do it at the beach. That's a really easy cover up. What does have me nervous? And we'll talk about that more later. But everything that Bonnie is now revealing in situations where she could be overheard. And who knows if the private investigator is following her. 
Are there rules when it comes to recording things inside of a hospital? I'm sure that there are and that applies here, but we'll dig into Bonnie once we get to her character. Let's start off with Jane because this answers a question we were left off with last episode. She goes to confront Corey about what he was doing at the police station. Almost as the audience, she even asks if he's an undercover police officer. He tries to explain that he was just called in for questioning by the detective. He didn't have a choice. When they asked if Jane had told him anything about Perry's death, he truthfully said she hadn't. But Quinlan still knows about Jane's rape and Ziggy's parentage. With five witnesses, she's sure that one will crack. She will offer the first a deal, but the rest will be screwed. All right, so our predictions, probably a lot of people's predictions were correct on this. Corey isn't an undercover cop. He was just pulled in for questioning. That's exactly what the detective wanted. Corey's already saying what the detective wanted them to hear. We have five witnesses. One will crack. If she does, she'll offer that first one a break. Yeah, but it's not Corey revealing any information that could hurt them. Everybody knew about this rape situation. It was the detective passing along a message. That's exactly what I'm saying. To Jane. So as far as their relationship is concerned, Jane doesn't have to feel like he stabbed her in the back. He undermined their trust. He didn't have a choice. You do have to answer if they pull you in for questioning. What are you going to say? So do you think she's overreacting by ghosting him? No. I actually think Jane is the one consistently making the smart decisions. She hasn't known him that long of a time. It took a lot for her to open up. Maybe if she does continue to reveal, now she has to worry about what's going to happen with that. It's just bad timing. She needs to resolve this part of her life. And I think she's hoping to put the Corey situation on ice for a little bit. And now I don't know if that's going to work because he keeps persistently coming back at her. But she doesn't fall for that bait at all about somebody getting a deal. You wouldn't imagine Jane would, yet out of all the Monterey Five, she is the most moving on with her life. After Celeste, Mary Louise could very easily come after Ziggy. There's a lot at stake here to have that little carrot dangled in front of you. If you just tell the truth, you can move on with your life. The next day at the aquarium, Corey calls Jane prickly and presses her on not returning his calls. She apologizes, but does tell him she can't do this right now. Later at the beach, he tells her he's not walking away, even if it does take time to earn her trust. After the preliminary court hearing, Jane goes to Mary Louise's door, insisting Celeste is a good mother and needs to call this off. We will talk about the court more later, but as it relates to Jane, she's getting increasingly frustrated and finding it hard to maintain her temper, much like everyone else is when attacked by Mary Louise. And we find out the key thing here, it wasn't Corey that revealed too much, but rather Ziggy. Yeah. Who told his grandmother, well, my mom has a gun. Well, I'm sure it wasn't point blank like that. I'm sure Mary was digging, you know, and it's easy to manipulate a child. All of these kids are just spilling all of this stuff. And I thought out of any of them, Ziggy would not be the one to open up like that. I mean, he kind of has a sense of what's the right thing to say. Not that a kid of his age should have to worry about that at all. But can you imagine just out of the blue? Yeah, my mom's got a gun. I don't think it was that way. That's what I mean. I'm, I'm sure Mary was doing her sweet talking and kind of bending the conversation to things she wanted to know. And I'm sure she kind of dug for something like that. And he was like, oh, yeah, my mom has one. Well, absolutely. And this is the problem that from the beginning, Jane should not have had Ziggy around this woman. It's odd. At all. And as time goes by, seeing everything she's up to, zero contact. Don't even let him talk to her. That's 
sort of her responsibility to maintain that boundary is definitely not Ziggy's. I still don't think this puts Jane in trouble. She is allowed, as long as she has a license to carry that weapon, she doesn't have to say anything about that. That doesn't have to relate to any of this. She was a rape victim. She has every right to now want to protect herself. Yeah, and her kid. It's legal. She's trained with it, period, end of story. Where she is in the wrong is kind of flipping out here. And I don't know how that affects things, but she was managing to not react until this moment where she starts yelling and screaming and eventually Mary Louise just slams the door in her face. Well, again, there's Mary Louise setting that trap. Think of her as... Okay, I'm going to use a different analogy. Not snake No this snake time. in the grass? <laughs> nope. This time I'm going to use those plants that actually eat flies. Ah, Venus fly trap. So their mouth is open. They look very colorful and very inviting to the fly. They, they don't come move. They land. They draw them in and then snap. And that's exactly what Mary did. The beginning of the conversation, she was all sweet and like, I don't want to take the kids. Mm. But then I, I considered the boys and she's not well. Clearly, you can see that. No, what I see is a woman who's struggling. Who isn't? And then turns it real quick. Are you struggling, Jane? With your conscience, perhaps? Ziggy told me you purchased a gun. Did you plan to use it on my son? Did you move to moderate to hunt him down? And then the music gets loud and she slams the door. And you hear in the background Jane actually speaking the truth. I hate to moderate in search of a good man. A good man who happened to have a bad night. Do you know the difficulty that my son is going to have to face being a product of rape because of your fucking son? He was not. But that's what I mean. I don't feel like anything she said or did there was incriminating. No, I think it. I actually enjoyed the scene, even though it was it was very different from what the show normally does. I think the music getting louder was indicative of how Mary tunes out what she doesn't want to hear, and we keep saying this, but now we kind of get an audio of it. As soon as Jane is speaking the truth about her son, the music gets really loud and it gets drowned out. Yeah, that's amazing. And preceded by the shot of Jane, where it's more like a handheld camera. We don't see as much of that in this show. Following in really close on Jane's face, capturing the emotion of her finally losing it and having Mm. this breakdown until the door slams. It feels like the door is actually slamming in our face as the viewer. It was a little out of place in that it's a different style than the rest of the episode, but I thought it was very effective. Meanwhile, when Madeline tells Ed about the meeting of the women, he grills her on what all five of them were even doing there, helping Celeste prepare for the custody battle. She explains they were just there to support her, but Ed thinks it seems like she's hiding things again. And she is. (laughs) This is, in my prediction, going to be a huge problem. I don't think they put this line in there for nothing. Why is Ed suspicious of that? She's getting together with her girlfriends. And yeah, there is an upcoming court battle. It doesn't seem like the kind of thing he's going to be put off by unless he is on the alert for it. It goes back to my prediction that Bonnie did tell him something that day having coffee about the secrets that Madeline's keeping from him. It's part of what he's so annoyed by. And every time now a situation like this happens and Madeline doesn't confide in him, he gets more and more angry. I think Ed's a card on the table that we haven't been considering that maybe we should. I see what you're saying there. I think there's another possibility. He still doesn't know, but they have been harping every episode on the fact that Ed keeps saying, I can't trust you. I can't trust you. All Mary has to do with Ed is whisper a little something something. And he already has that doubt about his wife. 
that could flower into something greater. But he doesn't know anything. So it's still not a danger unless Ed has knowledge we're not aware of. And this just keeps pushing him closer to the brink. Unless you want to say it's going to be Madeline because in the next exchange, worried about this, she goes to tell Renata, wondering if she should confess to Ed because he already knows something's up. But Renata insists Madeline can't tell him or it will screw them all. So is that loose cannon going to be Madeline just revealing it out of desperation to save her relationship we see her trying everything she can in a moment of weakness does she come and just share the whole story well that's what i mean if a little bit of a whisper is brought to ed's attention ed will press it and push it because he doesn't believe her so they may have the conversation where he actually brings it up because he doesn't have as big of a doubt as you normally would. Yeah, I guess it's just is the precipitating factor him or her there. Right. Ed getting angry or Madeline trying to repair things. But I really meant in my initial prediction that which one of them is going to confess to the police? And we keep thinking Bonnie, but could it be Ed if he knows something? None of them. (laughs) Speaking of Ed, he meets up with Tori again and tells her he had no intention of acting on his thoughts. Tori confesses that while she would like their spouses to pay, she's also genuinely attracted to Ed. She proposes he not overthink things, that they just try having sex and see if they like it, which she's sure he will. Well, I think both of us are pretty positive that he's not going to cheat on her, but this is quite a carrot being dangled. She has done herself up. She is definitely peacocking. And she's very aggressive with him. I think she pushes the right buttons in saying it's not just about revenge. She genuinely is attracted to and wants Ed. That's something Ed's been dying to hear, Mm -hmm. his frustration with Madeline. Tori doesn't even know that, and yet it's the thing that could push him over the edge. I think that he leaves that meeting not sure in his own mind what he's going to do. It's not until the next interaction that it seems like maybe he makes an internal decision. I'm speaking about when he takes the kids out for dinner and comes home later to find Madeline drunk and dancing around the house to blaring music in her bedroom with her wedding dress on. She points out it's the song that Ed chose for them and she was trying to recreate those feelings. Ed reiterates that she can't just wave a wand to make him trust her again. But this comes pretty close. Just an iconic line. And finally, I felt like Ed opened up a little. I could see into his true feelings that it touched him yeah. when he saw her in that dress. He wants to love her. He, he wants the relationship. I didn't know about his honest feelings until that moment because mm. there's always walls just so high up. He's rationalizing everything. Everything's very cerebral. But what does Ed feel in his heart? We know he's hurt and he's angry. This is such a classic moment, and I loved it for Madeline, too. You're just so devastated and upset. You're trying as hard as you can to go back to a simpler time. It's seeing her like that, in that dress, being so honest and real to the fact that she can't even zip it up anymore Mm -hmm. because she's gained some weight, but she doesn't care. That's not the point. She remembered a time when Ed looked at her in a certain way, and they were together in that way, and it impacts both of them. I love it. Well, he's had a pretty good day. Confidence booster wise. (laughs) Moving on to Renata, we see her and Gordon at the house regretfully letting go of Juliet, their caregiver for Amabella. They can't offer her severance now, which Renata feels bad about, but they have a letter of recommendation for her to try to get a new job. 
Later at the hearing, we find out Juliet is seeking severance for $73,000. Nobody appears surprised by that, but also an additional $163,000 for other services rendered. She says, under the blanket of stress management. Oh, oh my God. No. Well, there's a few things. I was trying to figure out this scene very quickly because obviously I don't know what goes into situations like this. So I guess... Before the government seizes everything and takes it as theirs, people that are owed for services need to get paid first. Exactly. Services or items that are being removed from the house, they put forward how much they're proposing and then the court has to settle on something. And then I think, yes, we come down to whatever amount is left after that. And then the other thing is this caregiver makes 73 grand a year. Is that what we're getting at? I don't know. Because I will be a caregiver. Out in a beautiful beach place for seventy. Heck, I'll 000. even dress up like Bo Peep and do some yeah. child therapy if she wants. Hey, I'll give him some stress management. <laughs> oh, too far, sorry. Um, <laughs> too far. Essentially, this is prostitution. It is. He's paying Juliet to have sex with him, and she says it so nonchalantly. Like, this is an agreement that's been in place. No surprise. Does she think Renata knows about that? I- I'm wondering, I mean, there's so many things I'm wondering right now. First of all, this show hates men. I'm just going to say it. That's the nail in the coffin <laughs> right there. But also, $163,000. Why such a, uh, it's just a weird number. It, I think she says it's for what's unpaid. Wow. So she's potentially gotten payment for this before and however many instances since then. Maybe we're, maybe, you know. Maybe we're looking to this all wrong. Maybe stress management. Maybe it was like workout sessions <laughs> and they were training. A little massage, you know. Push-ups. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Now. If we, are, if we didn't hate him before. Yeah. Because the thing is, I had some little ray of hope still for Gordon. It was being knocked down throughout the season. I've said this before. It seemed that he didn't care enough about losing their money. Yeah. Due to these actions. But we did see him drinking. I thought maybe it's just really well guarded. We haven't gotten the look inside of Gordon yet. There were moments in season one where it seemed he was being a good father to Amabella. I thought this is why Renata was acting the way she was last episode. Where she said they stay no matter what they do. Because she saw the balance inside of Gordon too. Mm -hmm. And she wasn't going to be a woman that just says, okay, it's really tough. I'm going to break it off. She was really hurt, but she was going to try to make things work with him. However, this officially makes Gordon an asshole. And it makes me... Hate men. No, it makes me (laughs) concerned that now if Renata stays, it feels really out of character. There's no coming back from this. This is the ultimate... There were so many things I was seeing here. Out of all the men in this show, and granted he doesn't have a, a high bar to go on, he felt like the most grounded... Uh, the most quote-unquote self-assured man of all of them, right? We got Ed, who is a closed-down Can't soul. express his needs, can't... We have Nathan, who's a, a grown-up a child. child. Perry and, was obviously the worst. <laughs> yeah. And then you got Gordon, who, yes, besides this mistake, and it's a big mistake, I'm not saying it was nothing, last season he seemed like a really good guy, good with his parenting, was able to deal with Renata. Right. Like, is there a reason why she loves him? There's good and there's bad, and now he's made a mistake, but we're going to try to work things out. But this destroys whatever was left of his character. And 
we know that Renata is a really strong woman. And there is going to be that limit where she's just going to say, F this, but she still hasn't. She freaks out on him in the car again, but says nothing about potentially leaving him. I don't think she's going to. This is a difficult one. I feel like if Renata comes out on top, she'll be the cover page of that magazine. If she leaves him, regains her wealth, that story will be amazing. Her husband lost everything, then cheated on her. She was able to leave, regrow her millions, Mm -hmm. and is the woman on top. Yeah. And if anyone can do it, I think Renata can. I'm not saying nobody can come back from an instance of cheating. I am hoping that we see Madeline and Ed work through that because there is something there that's worth saving. Mm -hmm. What is worth saving here? What is left that Renata can... The only thing I can think of is their daughter. Yes, potentially, although nothing that's happening here right now could be good for her either. True, but I feel like if Renata is going to twist her brain enough to stay, it's going to be because she doesn't want to put her daughter through a divorce. Oh, that will certainly be the rationale in her own mind. Yeah. Maybe just another party. (laughs) Oh, dear. Well, we have one more person to talk about before we get to Celeste and the court stuff, and that's Bonnie. At the hospital, we see her writing in a journal that I don't think we knew existed until now. I could be wrong. We paused it and the words say, I started to run at him. The closer I got to him, the more I knew what I had to do. I pushed him. I started freaking out. I have in my notes, Bonnie, how dumb are you? Or deep down, do you actually want to get caught? I think think she she wants to get caught. Yeah. We already saw that her husband picked it up like, oh, is this yours? And she's like, yes, and grabbed it. It's so easily found. A PI could look at it. Mary could have enough evidence at this point for search warrants for the detective. She could come in and grab that and seize it. You're putting incriminating information in a journal. In writing. I think her reaction when Nathan sees it indicates she knows that's a mistake. She shouldn't be doing that. But between that, her visions of confessing in the courtroom, I think the only thing that's been holding Bonnie back this whole time is the other women keep talking about how badly it's going to screw all of them. If it was just down to taking the rap for herself, she would have confessed a long time ago because this has been eating her up. And again, they would have been fine if she confessed that night. I do want to say I'm going to give half of this and then you have to remind me to finish it after the courtroom scenes. Next episode, I believe something along the lines of the detective will have a warrant. And while we're getting an awesome Celeste scene to marry in the courtroom, that's going to be found. Finding her journal. And those are going to be the scenes breaking off of each other. Mm. Well, in the hospital room, her father enters with a grim update from the doctor. There's nothing else they can do now but wait and see. And Martin reflects she's too young. It appears this news is fatal. It's only a matter of time before Elizabeth passes away or else she's going to be in this state for a very long time, which Bonnie certainly doesn't want. She envisions smothering her mother with a pillow and later asks the doctor, point blank, if they can kill her. Her father and the doctor are shocked that those words actually left her mouth. I wasn't shocked, but again, it's just, I think with Bonnie, they're trying to do scenes like that because there's nothing else to do. They have the almost boring scenes and then the shocking scenes. Obviously, Bonnie would speak to the father first. Maybe we should do this. What are your thoughts on this? I think she's so far gone. She's so shot. She doesn't even have a mental filter anymore. This goes back to the weird comment she made earlier this season to Jane about Corey having Asperger's. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And we're like, why did she... She's just losing all ability to 
even say things that are appropriate in this situation or care if it's appropriate. Her mind is totally focused on this one thing with her mother. With all these flashes where most of the time they make it obvious that it wasn't really happening, do you think maybe her mother didn't even say, kill me? That it was just Bonnie thinking that? Possibly. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, we get another flash coming up here where her mother urges her to go towards the light, which has to be Bonnie's own conscience, right? Telling her to confess. I mean, do you actually think she's empathically communicating with her know. while she's no. in a coma? She was, Bonnie was sleeping. I think it was just a dream. Mm. It was just something weird. That's what I mean. Like, this isn't, that's not this type of show. Yeah, Why I don't want to be playing this? that guessing game right now. Yeah. She wakes to remember another episode with her mother throwing things at her. Again, just feels like we've, we've seen that now a couple of times. The big moment comes after the court hearing where we see Bonnie playing around with confessing, but she ends up going back to the hospital realizing she needs to confess to her mother first. And so she starts to read aloud from her journal. I'm going to say this whole quote because it's important. Bonnie says, I resent you for the childhood I had, for your impatience, for being scared of doing my homework without being yelled at, for all the cabinet doors you slammed, for For slapping slapping me. me, for all the bruises. I resent you for not feeling safe at home. I resent you for being ashamed of me. I resent you for all the sex I started to have when I was 13 to prove to myself that I could be loved. I resent you for my wanting to beat the shit out of everyone. I resent you for making me feel so fucking worthless that I settled for a man that I don't. But mainly, I resent you for killing a man. I killed Celeste's husband and he didn't slip. I pushed him. I snapped, and when I lunged at him, I was pushing you. And that push was a long time coming. I want to forgive you. Firstly, it does give us the whole background, unfortunately, without us having to learn or discover anything more. All of those answers that we wanted that we don't quite have time for, Mm -hmm. Bonnie wraps up in this resentment speech. But it's also what we thought. I was hoping at that point she would rip up that page rip it into many tiny Mm -hmm. pieces and that would be the end of it but also she said it aloud so that's what i was wondering if somebody were to be able to overhear to record something this is the gold mine she literally says i killed celeste's husband i pushed him perhaps her mom was hearing it and she'll remember that we have seen her wake up a few times i don't think that part's likely unless somebody else was there i'm thinking like we've seen detective quinlan hanging around the hospital before bonnie overreacting to that If she heard what Bonnie was saying in that moment, it would be the end of it. But to sum that up really quick, the diary thing is bothering me tremendously. It feels like something that was thrown in here. Yeah. Because there's going to be a way for the truth to come out, right? And And here it is. If we've been seeing Bonnie wrestling with this all season, wouldn't have been great to see her writing in a journal, but we don't know what it is from time to time instead of some of those running scenes. And now you find out. Well, she's literally been putting the truth in there. Oh, that would have been great where we see um, her writing, like, ran into Ed today, mm-hmm. but that's all we saw. About all of the Monterey Five. Drowning. You see her writing drowning a few times. Like, there's so many things they could have made it more interesting. But maybe it was there and it was cut out. Just to go back to what you were saying at the top of this episode, now that we know that it wasn't even edited by Andrea Arnold, and the fact that we have even pointed out These episodes are kind of short, 45 minutes. Yeah, there's a lot that's been cut. And I liked the keep it nice and tight, trim the fat. But when you're getting to the end and you realize 
there are some moments that would have maybe had things hang together better and flesh out some of these other characters' stories that feel oddly placed. Then I don't know if I want them to be 43 minutes. I mean, what does the original version of that look like? It's so hard to tell what would have been the right choice not knowing what was cut, what was changed. Exactly. So that's why I think The Long Night should have been three episodes. Oh, <laughs> shit. Wrong show. Why does go, this keep happening? Go watch the video about Miguel Sapochnik is the moral of the story here. At the first custody hearing, the judge shares that the reports from the child psychologist have left her unsatisfied due to the neutral recommendations. She's not inclined to remove the children from Celeste's home, but she does have concerns. So Celeste will be questioned the next day. Her lawyer reminds her there is a risk of Mary Louise getting full custody, but Celeste reiterates she won't settle. The next day, the five women enter the court and Madeline apologizes to Bonnie for being out of line. Bonnie says, it's getting to you, isn't it? Well, first of all, I love the fact that Renata constantly, every time she goes to court, is hit with that alarm. No matter what, every time (laughs) there's that scene. It is funny. And what Bonnie says, it's getting to you, isn't it, is she's stating... What we all see, and I think the the five aren't seeing, they are all unraveling. And it's keeping you questioning, who is it going to be? Is that going to happen? One of them's going to break. This time in court, we see Celeste brutally questioned in a series of rapid-fire questions from Mr. Farber, Mary Louise's lawyer, who is, in fact, everything he's been built up to be, seemingly. Vicious. He's a shark, but the questions are doing exactly what they're supposed to be doing. I'll just kind of run through them quickly. He asks, did she ever initiate the physical violence? She admits sometimes she hit Perry first, but usually she was fighting back against his attacks. Did the physical violence lead to sex? Yes, but that's not what she was aroused by. It was all very confusing. Has she been taking medicine? Yes, she crashed her car while on Ambien. Did she have sex with all of these men? He starts pulling up pictures of Joe, Michael, and many others that we didn't know about. So our predictions last episode were correct. These glimpses of other men that she's seeing, these flashes, they were separate men. And in fact, there's more that we haven't even seen. This is all looking really bad. We see on several occasions Celeste getting very flustered. You can just feel what she's going through internally in that moment. I can't believe it's okay for you to ask me these things. I can't believe that I have to open up and talk about some of the most difficult things that she hasn't shared with anyone. Mm -hmm. And yet she does manage to keep her head about her. She answers honestly, but she explains. Normally, (laughs) I was going to say normally in court, they don't let you explain. Normally in court on the TV shows and movies (laughs) I watch. Well, this is different too. They told us that right off the bat, the judge is sort of judge, jury, and executioner. There's not a full panel jury there. It seems like she is a great judge in that she really does want to actually uncover the truth of Celeste's state of being. In fact, I really wanted to put her up on the poll for MVC this week. Yeah, the Mr. Farber on the poll was my decision. I thought of anybody, he was someone that was really leading the charge this episode. He did, and he moved the plot line forward greatly, but we are left with the undeniable fact that it is the judge that's going to have the final say, and we'll get to that in a minute. But in this question that Mr. Farber asks in regards to the multiple sex partners, this is when we find out that there was a PI watching her. And here are all these pictures of these young, attractive men. You see Celeste's face just going, how did they get all this? How do they know that? And I don't think any of our clatchers noticed. We were waiting for it. We were keeping our mouths shut. I was one of those pictures. (laughs) 
Well, some of the most incriminating questions, were the kids there? Did they know about these men? It's making the case of not just Celeste having gone through things that are difficult or struggling. She's verbalizing that. Yeah, I've been traumatized. I've went through a lot. I'm in therapy. I'm trying to work on this. But how does it affect her kids? Mm -hmm. And it's starting to look bad. The medicine, the men being brought home. Has she ever been violent with the twins? She admits she overreacted on two occasions. Right away, I started thinking about that one scene where we were like, damn it, Mary was standing right there. The worst thing. And she slapped Mary Louise herself. She deserved it. (laughs) But it just, it's mounting now. You're thinking, how is she going to get out of this? Then the lawyer repeatedly questions her about pushing Perry on trivia night. We see objections from Celeste's lawyer. The judge may be thinking about not allowing him to say that. Celeste vehemently denies doing this. But it achieves the goal anyway. We see Detective Quinlan watching how the other women in court are responding to this and noticing Bonnie shaking her head. Of course, yeah. That's why she's behind everyone so she can see it. They also had that film and they were like, look, science. If he fell, that he wouldn't have landed at this stairs. The trajectory Mm -hmm. would have been different. And I was like, oh, fuck. But here's my question. Why or why is Celeste's lawyer not better, for lack of a better word? She is objecting, but she's not pushing it. He shouldn't be allowed to ask these things. She cross-examines, and we'll get to that, Celeste, which looks good. But there's so many other avenues you could go. Why don't you uh, put someone on the stand who is an expert at family abuse and what members go through normally, or also that professional could show that the numbers say that the chances of being killed by your abuser when you try to leave goes up 88% or something like that. There's so many ways they could have done that. How about a regular therapist? Celeste therapist. Exactly. Why wasn't she questioned? All of these things coming back to, are you receiving help? What's the status of your treatment? If we need to also have you dig into these relationship things, how do we know you're going to do that? There's a lot of counterpoints in Celeste's benefit that could have been there. In fact, the initial plan seemed to be for no one else to be questioned besides Mm -hmm. Celeste. How is that possible? After this questioning concludes, her lawyer instructs her she will need to cross-examine to redirect the topics, of course. So she starts off by asking Celeste if she's been getting professional help. She does say she's seeing this therapist. She stopped taking the Ambien. And the judge's big questions come down to the sexual encounters. Does this add up to an addiction? How does she plan to confront that? And Celeste gives a really genuine and relatable answer that I think the judge believes. She explains that she wanted to be touched, for it to be uncomplicated, for her to be in control, to try to get past the sickness in her former relationship and push Perry out but it will stop now. Maybe this is my ignorant stance of the world at times, but even with all of this, I've seen my mother, when my father passed away, she's not herself entirely. She's not doing the little things that she would do. She wouldn't go, she's not going for walks. You know, from that to bigger, grander things, here's one major example. She's been going on QVC at night and buying stuff. Mm-hmm. Does that mean you can't have your children anymore? Putting Well, does that now add up to not being able to look through your mail, putting bills to the side, not making payments, taking medication and not really thinking about the side effects? What if the kids had been in the car? I think also the questioning about the men isn't so much about, oh, you've been sleeping around. Well, what does that matter? But 
She then asks her, why did she stay with her abuser? Again, none of this is Celeste's fault. And I don't think the judge is trying to victim blame her for not leaving. The judge is well aware of the psychology that goes into domestic violence situations. Yeah, the judge seems good, actually. The danger of that. But if you follow that up with, okay, but this does mean the kids were in a violent home for a very long period of time and nobody Mm -hmm. knew that was happening... Now she's out sleeping around with these men that she knows nothing about. Is she trying to recreate that trauma in a certain sense? Because people do go through that in Mm. trying to figure it out. Could there be other men brought home that could be a danger? What type of situation are these kids living in moving forward? I do think that's the point of what she's after. Uh, Absolutely. I mean, there's so much in the psychology of that that it would take us a whole episode. We've discussed in the past on Patreon that kids who grew up with parents who fight a lot will find a mate where they fight a lot because even though they're not enjoying themselves being in that relationship, it feels, quote-unquote, comforting to have the fight. We're not really in love unless we fight like this. You know, things like that. Mm -hmm. There's so many... Is she still seeking that out? Is that a pattern that's going to continue? And will the pattern extend to her children? Has she been violent with them? You know, that's a fear now. Is is that going to happen? Is she working on that in therapy? What type of help are the kids going to get moving forward? I think that the judge felt satisfied to a degree because the psychologist did meet with the kids, but it's it's not enough for her to be sure if Celeste is going to keep furthering that type of environment that they need to be in. However, that leaves you with this big question of nobody's looking at the alternative. If Celeste isn't fit, where are they going now? And is that a suitable place? So after a couple more questions from Mr. Farber, by the way, including those about Max bullying Amabella, that's that line of thinking, are Mm -hmm. the kids now internalizing the violence, the judge declares she has a good grasp on the situation and is ready to enter her findings. However, however, Celeste asked to speak. Given the question of where the boys would be best off living, shouldn't they also evaluate Mary Louise's fitness? Amen. Um, I think your lawyer should have done that already. I'm just mad at her lawyer. Sorry. Uh, Celeste requests to call her own witness and question Mary Louise herself. The judge thinks this is a bad idea. Seems her lawyer does too, but she agrees anyway. (sighs) What a bomb dropped, huh? You asked the most important question, and it was the same thing I was thinking in this moment. Did Celeste just shoot herself in the foot? It was really hard to tell, but did seem like the judge was leaning towards Celeste's side. She thought that Celeste gave very honest answers, was truthfully seeking treatment. She would like to let the boys stay at home with their own mother if possible. Mm-hmm. I mean, she There's... opened the whole thing up with that. And when Celeste is on the second time on a stand, it looks like the lawyer was trying to find the good in everything. So it's really hard to know where the judge was going to come down on that. But if I'm the lawyer, I'm saying it looks pretty good in your favor. Mm. Whereas if we now move into this line of questioning, I completely understand why Celeste is doing it. It makes total sense, even by the letter of the law, that Mary Louise should be evaluated. But are you going to put yourself in a situation where you might get emotional? You might start questioning her and go into some information that you shouldn't have said or let Mary Louise talk, which is a bad idea because she often finagles the conversation to her own ends and convinces the people of things that we don't want her to. She might be able to invoke that erratic behavior. From Celeste, you could get into all these further questions about Perry's death and the other Monterey Five that feel like Celeste is only thinking about her side of things, her questions and what they could show, which is valid. 
you have to assume she's going to ask about Perry's brother's death. Talk about where it's fit to put a child and who's fit to raise them. When Mary Louise was a parent, there was this tragic accident that occurred where one of her kids died. How unfit does that make Mary Louise look? It looks terrible. Plus, the surviving son wound up developing these deep psychological problems to the extent that he was abusive to his wife. He raped at least one other woman. Is this where you want the boys placed? But I think that's the only track her mind is going down, not all the bad places it could lead. So at the very least, it should not be Celeste doing the questioning. She might have lost all confidence in her lawyer at this point. The only ray of hope I have is the fact that we have been saying Mary's winning, Mary's winning. We're hoping that our ladies finally get their due. And this would be the perfect opportunity, knowing that there's only one episode left. If Celeste gets her due and pile drives her, we know she's a good lawyer. Maybe she goes into that zone that we know she's capable of and she starts kicking ass. I think this would make so much more sense. And the tension, this is what I was bringing up earlier, is if she is destroying Mary in the courtroom, while at the same time, we see the detective outside of the courtroom with her army of policemen going into the houses, finding that journal of Bonnie's, talking to Ed, you know, all these things unraveling behind the scenes. I think that would be really good TV. Yes. Another thing that we can't forget, though, is that after Celeste does her questioning, I think that Mary Louise's lawyer, Mr. Farber, still has the ability to cross examine Mary Louise, which could put it right back in her favor. I mean, there's just so many more things that could go wrong than right here. It's another move where I think it's going to be great TV and we see why Celeste did it, but ultimately it's going to be her undoing. So in regards to that question, and we did ask our Clatchers via Twitter that not many people actually answered that. (laughs) Do you believe that the judge was going to find for Mary Louise? I do. Me too. I can't be 100% certain, but it did feel that way. And I do think this is going to end up being a mistake. If I was the judge, I would have said that the kids have to continue to go to counseling. She needs to continue seeing her therapist, but also they need to go to a different kind of therapy as well. Grief counseling and um, where women go for therapy who have been abused. All of these things need to be combined and also drug testing. I probably would have mandated drug testing. Yeah. And I think it's fair if she says that The court will reconvene kind of for a checkup Mm -hmm. on Celeste in six months or however much time to make sure that those things are happening. And if they are, then that solidifies the decision. Maybe um, something like a parole officer. Right. Something similar to that who is constantly checking in. A check-in or something of that nature. And, And I do feel like that's the way it probably would have gone, but... We'll see what happens in our next and final episode. For right now, Jason, we're going to move into our lies rating. For this, our penultimate, episode six, what do you give it? I got to tell you, besides the certain scenes in the court, which still didn't feel very big little lies to me, and that quick encounter, which I was looking forward to, but was kind of skimmed over with Jane and Corey right in the beginning of the episode. I was kind of bored with Bonnie, to be- believe it or not. People might be mad at me at that. I'm going to go a little bit lower. I'm going to go 8.8, especially for a penultimate episode. I'm actually, I'm going to tell you, I'm going a little high for a penultimate. Yeah, for a penultimate. And definitely, I agree with you. This didn't feel as consistent. Things felt out of place. There were some weird scenes and areas where I expected more at this point in time. I'm going to give it an 8.5 lies. Oh, you went even lower than me. Mm-hmm. 
I'm I'm losing a little faith now in thinking that there might not be a season three. I was mm-hmm. willing to give it some more leeway if we're doing the slower season two and leave a lot hanging. But perhaps this is unfair to build things up in my mind with the imminence of this could be the end next time around. It makes me rate this lower. But I still enjoyed watching it. I, I'm not leaving this saying we wasted our time with this season. No, it just puts a ton of pressure on, on the, the finale. Last. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> so let's move on to our Clatchers via Twitter at CKC Podcast. We asked our Clatchers, who do you think your MVC is? This week we gave Celeste, Bonnie, Madeline, and Mr. Farber, the lawyer. Coming in with 7%, I'm surprised it was that low. Mr. Farber, we got to see him flex his muscles. We got to see how dirty and rugged he could get. And with Mr. Farber and his questioning, we got to see Nicole Kidman knock it out of the park. Tied for second place with 13%, both Bonnie and Madeline. We have discussed how it was a little bit more of a slow unfolding, some retreading going on with both of their storylines. You do have that ultimate moment in the wedding dress at the end there where you think there could be hope for Madeline and Ed's relationship, but also the fear of her spilling the beans to him. And for Bonnie, some similar repeating of scenes, but the ultimate reveal that she shares her secrets aloud with her mother, confesses her resentment and what she did. And coming in at first place for the second week in a row with 67% is Celeste. Going right off of what I said about Mr. Farber, Celeste and in particular, Nicole Kidman kicks some ass with her acting. And the way she left the episode off has us very intrigued. Although I would argue that I'm hoping next episode will be a Celeste episode as she lays down the hammer. So for my MVC, I'm going Mr. Farber. I mean, I put him up there. there yeah, you got to stick with it, right? <laughs> with reasons I've already said. But also, I believe that he is the one pushing the story forward so much that he lit a fire under Celeste's ass. And we're going to see the badass chick that we know she is next episode. The acting was also great on his part. I am really ashamed that I don't know her name, but I do want to give it to the judge. Maybe I should have looked into this a little bit before. I'll try to find out for next episode. The fate really seems to hang in her hands, and I don't know if that will wind up being true or if it will, in fact, come back around to Detective Quinlan. But leaving it here in this episode, maybe things would have been okay if we just let the judge make the decision. So let's see what the Clatchers had to say. Kirk coming in with, Celeste definitely moved the story into the next episode anyway. Now let's see if she can deliver. Also, I love, love, love Nicole Kidman. (laughs) Then we had a back and forth with Kirk and Melly. Kirk saying, what? Man on that list. The only man I would consider voting for is Ed, and only because he delivered the best line of the night to a dancing Madeline trying to squeeze into her wedding dress. We both know there's no magic wand, but that comes close. That was a great moment. A little bit of redemption there for Ed. Melly says, I'm giving it to Celeste because of the Big Little Lies cliffhanger of the season. She might not be the one driving the story forward the most, but she was the most captivating. Nicole Kidman's performance was brilliant. She blew me away this Sunday. Also, she's gaining control back, and I love it. I just wish she would drop that vodka. Seems like she can't help but keep the self-destructive spiral going. Yeah, I think, though, that was maybe meant to indicate this pattern of she has kind of been slipping back into these self-destructive tendencies, but she's starting to notice them now and really try to break the cycle and change things moving forward. So I want to see that as a hopeful moment Mm. for Celeste. I agree. Daniel wrote, My reaction when Celeste asked to question Mary Louise. (laughs) And it's a gif of Thor going, yes! (laughs) Love it. Well, he said, me too. I screamed and it made my husband jump. 
Daniel also saying, Celeste definitely moved the narrative more and her scenario caused others to act and move accordingly. Because of her, Bonnie goes to the police where we find out about Corey, which changes Jane, which changes Madeline, that changes Ed, which changes Bonnie. What a show. But Bonnie is a close, razor-thin second. We find out so much that relates to her character and why the push happened in the first place. That reading of the letter. I think I was so mad at Bonnie for that. Mm. Writing it down that I kind of zoned it out. So that's probably my issue. Tracy saying, so bummed there will be no podcast about this amazing penultimate episode until after the finale airs. So much to break down and know your thoughts on before the finale. Well, hopefully this is a nice surprise then. Spoiler alert, we heard you (laughs) and the other Clatchers and we are doing a podcast. Just in case you couldn't tell (laughs) after this. Amanda said, I definitely think Celeste is moving the story forward. I'm not sure if she would have won the case, but I am interested to see what kind of questions she has in store for Mary Louise, hopefully dredging up the past about Perry and his brother. But I voted for Bonnie. Had to give her some love for confessing to her mom. Plus, Zoe Kravitz is just so cool. She is cool. Daniel has a write-in related to Not Big Little Lies, but something we covered on Patreon. In the fairly distant past, our movie review was on Bohemian Rhapsody. So he says on a non-voting note, I was at an outdoor party this weekend. Small gathering on a lawn in a small town. Cue the John Mellencamp music. And this one guy gets on a queen kick and cues up the Bohemian Rhapsody soundtrack at the Live Aid moment. And he sings it poorly. He even does the call and respond. And tries to get passerbys to join in. I immediately thought this asshat could easily fit in with the men on Big Little Lies, especially Nathan. Life is stranger than fiction. Oh, oh Nathan. Oh my God. I mean, he did like three movies right there. That was genius. Stranger <laughs> than fiction. Oh, I love that. This poor and guy. we did a really fun episode of Bohemian Rhapsody on Patreon. So if you guys want to check that out, join us. That was a great time on the movie tier. Hillary says, after the little reveals about their relationship this season, I wasn't surprised to hear what Bonnie said to her mother. She blames her for the rage, for pushing Perry, but a lot of people would have pushed him to stop him from beating on a woman. Celeste was probably going to win. I'm happy she stood up to Mary Louise. Not sure how it'll work out. I hope we find out what happened to Perry's brother. Is Mary Louise trying to raise the twins now because of her own failings back then? So many questions, only one more episode. Yeah, so many questions. Yeah, I would have beat up Perry until I remember Alexander Skarsgård is the actor and he's like six foot. Be- <laughs> he's like intense. six foot beautiful and he would probably destroy me. Also, though, that prospect of Mary Louise trying to fix her mistakes is very interesting. We've dove into the psychology behind that and wanting to find out more about what happened with Perry and Raymond. The Viking says, first off, honorable mention for Mary Louise. She didn't have as many lines as the other actors this episode, but made an impact in every scene. I was going to vote for Bonnie, right up until the final scene where Celeste stole my vote by (laughs) demanding Mary Louise take the stand. Finally. Oh, the Viking might hate my opinion about Bonnie then. Sorry. Uh, I, I kind of mirrored that, but I could see just getting behind the emotion of being happy for Bonnie finally being able to... No, I feel that. ...say what she needs... say what she needs to say. It's just following that train of thought further. It makes us very nervous for her. Shayna Vu thinks Celeste was not about to win. She says the judge seemed prepared to offer a compromise, maybe mandatory counseling and joint custody, but now it's up in the air. 
If she doesn't expose Mary Louise to be the evil and manipulative grandma who probably abused Perry, then she might lose. This is going to be a standoff. Wit against wit. I'm excited. Yeah, there's danger, but possibility. I like the view that maybe it is more hopeful because maybe the judge wasn't going to side with her. So this Mm. was kind of a Hail Mary pass. Maybe. We'll see in our finale. So before we get into our final thoughts and last minute predictions, I want to do our closer look. Because we really only just touched the surface of this issue with Andrea Arnold. I know we haven't talked a lot about her, but she's definitely getting a lot more acclaim lately. She's a British writer and director. You might know her for her gritty, immersive style in films like American Honey. That was a big one people have been talking about. And Fish Tank. When she was approached by executive producers and HBO to direct the second season of Big Little Lies... They told her they wanted her version of the show and all that entailed, meaning that she would get free reign and creative license on this. It was never explained to her at the time. The expectation was that her footage would later be shaped by Valet. And this again comes from the report that was published by IndieWire that alleges David E. Kelly and Jean-Marc Valet wrested creative control from Andrea Arnold last fall, hiring a second team of editors to recut her work and ordering reshoots so that it would more closely match season one. Now, apparently this had always been the plan for Valet to become re-involved. He was unable to start off directing this season because he was still committed to Sharp Objects at the time. And HBO couldn't wait. I'm assuming there was a lot of scheduling issues with all the big name actors we have here. So they decided to hire Arnold, whose work they believed was in line with this show, but also that they could easily shape later into the distinctive style of season one through post-production. What's perhaps more surprising is that Valet and Arnold never spoke, nor was there ever a clear showrunner or creative producer who Arnold was going to be answerable to on set, really making it seem like she was the one in charge here. While they were fil- while they were filming, it seemed like everything was going really well. They weren't interfering with any of Arnold's choices, and in fact, reports back were described as glowing. Reese Witherspoon and Nicole Kidman were said to have loved working with Arnold and trusted her intrinsically. It was as Arnold started to assemble the scenes that supposedly Kelly and HBO saw there was a problem. This is apparently when Valet started to take control back over, and soon after, 17 additional days of photography were scheduled. When asked to explain this move, this is the statement that HBO issued. Quote, There wouldn't be a season two of Big Little Lies without Andrea Arnold. We at HBO and the producers are extremely proud of her work. As with any television project, The executive producers work collaboratively on the series, and we think the final product speaks for itself. However, in addition to this additional photography that they started, Valet was now becoming extremely hands-on as an executive producer, dictating what would be shot, how it would be shot. There was significant reworking of the show's story through additional filming and an increased reliance on season one flashbacks. A large part of what guided Valet's reconfiguration of the second season was removing Arnold's signature contributions— 60-page scripts were slashed down to 40-plus-minute episodes. Sources say, largely by chopping up a scene to remove what they described as Arnold's character exploration and, quote, ephemeral stuff. Mm. What elements of Arnold's work do remain on screen, especially in the first episode? The scenes feel truncated, the editing seems especially choppy, and as the season has progressed, the show has increasingly settled into the familiar season one style and rhythm. Now again, the director declined to speak to IndieWire. This is coming from sources that are close to Arnold, saying that the filmmaker is heartbroken about the experience. 
And we are reading pretty much directly from that article. So it's the only way that we have to go off of any of this. But judging by what we have seen, it does seem to make a kind of sense. And after this came out, there's been a huge frenzy on social media. There was a hashtag to release the Andrea Arnold original cut the original version of these episodes. There was a lot of people talking about the irony of a female director being allegedly undermined by male producers on a show. You know, it got into that whole area of things, and I don't want to have that conversation because we just don't know what the truth is, but if that is the case that she wasn't told about this up front and it was later gone back and reworked, that's a real problem. It's not really fair to her involvement on the show and maybe kind of reflects in some of the things we're frustrated with for season two. So ultimately, was that a right or wrong decision just for creative production purposes? I don't think we can ever know, but we had to talk about that here, right? So you can look into that more and see what you think about the Andrea Arnold hmm. situation. Jason, coming into our season finale, we've talked a lot already, but any last minute predictions on what might happen? How is this all going to end? Besides what I've already put forward, I don't know what to say. I'm hoping that they do kind of wrap things up, um, especially with the inclination that there might not be a season three. I have a possible spoiler in my head from an interview with Shailene Woodley on the Jimmy Kimmel show. I don't know if it's true or just a red herring. And it's kind of a bomb drop. So I'm not going to okay. say anything, but geez. Oh, okay. So you got to tell me after we're done I will. recording here. And then once we see the finale, we'll find out if that's true. I think that once Celeste gets up to question Mary Louise, some very real shit's going to come out. The unresolved hints at the past with Perry and Raymond, we're going to learn a lot more about that. It is going to throw a ton of shade on Mary Louise, make her look unfit to raise the kids. I mm -hmm. think Celeste is going to win in that regard. Yes. But she's going to emotionally crack and some stuff is going to come out about trivia night. Okay. I think she's going to start to look in the wrong. The Monterey Five are going to be sitting in the courtroom all getting antsy. They can't allow this to keep going on and have this looking bad for Celeste. Somebody has to do something. And that's when Bonnie is going to stand up and confess. Uh, oh, my God. And it's going to turn out that somebody already knew because she's been leaking this to Ed and... There was no way this was going to stay buttoned up forever. So instead of less letting Celeste take the rap, holy shit, Bonnie will end up revealing herself, getting in trouble, maybe going to jail. I just don't know what it's going to do to everyone else for the fact that they've been lying about this the whole time. How yes. on the line are they going to be for that? That would be an intense scene. So we both have intense scenes in our minds. Very curious. I can't wait. Well, this is exciting. We will be back to review the finale. Episode 7. Clatchers, don't forget, before our last episode, follow us on Twitter, at CKC Podcast, Facebook, Coffee Clatch Crew, Instagram, all that fun stuff. Use our link on coffeeclatchcrew.com to do your shopping on Amazon. I believe Amazon Prime's coming up, or maybe it already passed. Regardless, use our link. It helps us out, doesn't cost you any more money. And if you really love what we're doing, the hard work that we're putting into it, join us over at Patreon. Get more content from us, get different kind of content from us, and know that you're helping two Joe Schmoes compete in this vast sea of podcasts. And allow us to continue free coverage on amazing shows like Big Little Lies. Till next time, this round's on me. This round is on me. <laughs> Please hang up and try again.